Hi, it's Robin McMahon here. I'm the host of Parenting Our Future. And if you're listening to this podcast, I want to thank you so much for being here. I also want you to know that I'm a former angry mom. I used to yell and rage and threaten and punish my kids because I wasn't getting the cooperation or the behavior that I felt I should be getting. And I struggled for many years, not knowing how to change or knowing what to do differently. It wasn't until I found the world of peaceful parenting that I learned why my kids acted the way they did and also why I was so angry and triggered. I was able to heal my anger and leave my triggers behind so that I could focus on being the calm and confident parent I always expected myself to be. I can tell you that feeling connected to your kids is the best feeling in the world. My two boys are teenagers now, and we have a strong relationship that is rooted in deep connection. And where there is connection, there's cooperation. Parenting is the most important job we do, but it's the hardest job we do. And we do it without understanding the fundamentals of the way our kids grow and develop. We do it without knowing the way their brains work or what their behavior is actually really telling us. So it's no wonder it's so hard. And it's okay to ask for help. It's okay to say, this is harder than I thought it would be. And that's where I come in. I can help you and I can support you so that you can have the cooperation and enjoy being a parent. You can book a free call with me on my website, parentingforconnection.com. And if you want to download my free guide, how to turn a no into cooperation, go to triggerfreeparents.com. I really hope you enjoy the show. Thanks for listening. Hey parents, it's Robin here. All right. If you have a teenager like I do, like my guest does, you know exactly what we're talking about. You've got a tired teenager. You've got a teenager who's a night owl who doesn't want to get up in the morning. It's 12 o'clock today as I record. And I literally just gave my youngest a hug who got up which means the other one is still asleep. But anyway, so we're talking about sleep and teens and actually what is going on with them? What is going on with these teens and their sleep? So I have Lisa L. Lewis here. She's the author of The Sleep Deprived Teen, Why Our Teenagers Are So Tired. Yes, boy, are they ever. And what parents and schools can do to help them thrive. Now, in addition to writing about teens and sleep and other parenting topics, she's actually helped to get California's new law on healthy school start times passed. Like what a hero. Uh, And she's also written for other publications like the Washington Post, the New York Times, the Atlantic, the Los Angeles Times, and others. And she is a parent. She's been parenting, I should say, teenagers for over seven years. She has a child who's in their twenties. And then she has a newer or a younger child who is, uh, who is an active teenager. Welcome Lisa L. Lewis. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. And thanks for the work that you're doing and recognizing that actually our teens aren't lazy because what we end up doing is we see them as lazy where we look at them like, okay, you guys are growing up now. You're closer to adulthood and we blame them when they're tired and sleepy. And then we label them as lazy or whatever else we want to call them. Right. We can say some not nice things to them when in fact there are reasons for what's going on with our teens. Teens really need to be parented in a different way from so many different perspectives. And this is one of them. So let's just sort of start at the beginning. 
what made you write this book? Like what got you interested in this to begin with? Yes. So I have been pretty immersed in this topic of teen sleep for the last seven years. Okay. Specifically uh, dates back to August of 2015, which was when my oldest, my son was just entering high school. That was the beginning of his freshman year. Okay. And at that point, our local high school started at 730 in the morning. Oh, early. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, now and that's normal. Sorry. I'm sorry. Is yes. that normal? Well, so here's the thing. So <laughs> first it was earlier than the elementaries and the middle school start in our town. So this was the earliest he'd ever had to start school. And I did some checking, wanting to know the answer to that you know, question. Like, why is it this way? How long has it been this way? It had been this way for years and years. Nobody could even tell me how long, you know, the 7.30 start time had been in effect. I'm, you know, in a town where the high school is, uh, dates back to 1892. So there are plenty of people in town where they went to that high school. And then their kids went to that high school. They all remembered it starting at 7.30. So this was a legacy start time. So wow. the issue, um, though, what I quickly found out was, um, in addition to not being able to find out how long it had, you know, this start time had been in effect, what I quickly found out was that this issue of schools starting too early was not just unique to our community. That in fact, um, it is an issue around the country. And I say that, you know, I, I'm in the US and so most of the research I've done is US based. But um, the other thing that's really critical is 2015, right when this issue sort of hit my radar because it was affecting our household, because it was clear that he was not, you know, fully alert at 7:30 in the morning. You know, no kidding. And when I was getting in the car with him to drive him to school, he yeah. was exhausted by the end of the day. And so that's when I did start looking into this of well, why does it start so early, etc. Just so happened that my interest happened to coincide with this whole issue of teen sleep and the impact that start times have on it. That whole topic was really hitting a critical mass. So the same month, August of 2015, the CDC had just released a report on school start times across the country in the US. Yeah, and I think it was 7.59 was the average start time for US uh, public high schools. So can yeah. I can I stop you for just one second? Oh, yeah. Why why is it that early? Are you you might be getting to that, but like I just need like why? Yes. yes. Because I'm sure teachers don't want to get up that early either. Like I just want to say maybe they do. I don't know, but I don't want to get up that early. Yeah. And have to get myself ready and everything else ready, right? And what if you've got younger kids? That have, oh my gosh, I I I I I'm not happy, not happy right now. <laughs> but why 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 why? Yeah. Well, so let me just say quickly, and then I'll delve into okay, some sure. of the why. So 2015, what had just been released the previous year, 2014, was an official policy statement by the okay. American Academy of Pediatrics okay. recommending that middle and high schools start no earlier than 8.30 in the morning because okay. of the impact of start times on teen sleep and all of the implications you know, that stem from teen sleep deprivation. And so that was in response to the fact that far too many high schools are starting much earlier than 8.30. Okay. So as to your question about why this is, okay. um, so there's a couple answers and mainly it's because they were set long before um, this teen sleep information was widely known. Okay. So, you know, in fairness, that that wasn't, you know, a factor in the decision making. But the other key piece that, well, I guess really is part of that first point was 
in a lot of cases, start times ended up being set based on things like bus transportation. So for example, in a given district, if they have uh, buses that are taking kids to school, they're using the same fleet of buses. And so they're doing a tiered system for elementary, middle and high schools. And because they didn't yet have that data knowing about teen sleep, you know, absent that, it was just sort of assumed, oh, well, the, the older kids, you know, they're probably the ones who are best able to, to you know, yeah. be out there early in the morning. The so in fairness, yeah. they didn't know at that point, but then these schedules endured. So I called them legacy schedules. Right. Okay. So does that mean though, that it is actually easier for younger kids to get up early? Well, yes. And I say it like that because the caveat is nobody should be going to school at 7 a.m. Yeah. And yeah, there are some high schools agree. here that start at 7 a.m. So really, you know, the, the, the best sort of common sense guideline would be really no earlier than eight o'clock, ideally, for any of the kids. I that think that's said, true. Though, yeah. Well, so, so young kids do um, wake up earlier in the morning. They are more alert early in the morning. And, you know, and that is a fact, as we know, when we parent our kids, we see this shift as they get older. Like every parent knows this, right? Well, yeah. And the, and to, you know, a point you made earlier there, it's not that our teens are lazy, you know, because sometimes mm-hmm. people think, oh, well, they should just go to bed earlier. Well, part of it is they have a circadian rhythm shift that takes place mm-hmm. at the onset of puberty. And what that means is their sleep schedule shifts later. So younger kids, you know, they, they run hard all day and then boom, they're able to fall asleep, whatever time, 8.30, you know, for a teen, they are not able to fall asleep that early, even if you were to be able to kind of get them in to get to bed at 8.30 or nine. And the reason why is melatonin is released later at night. And that's the hormone that primes us to feel sleepy. Mm. So a teen is not really going to feel sleepy enough to fall asleep until about 11 o'clock at night. And then similarly, the melatonin recedes later in the morning than it used to. And so all of that means that they're on a different shifted sleep schedule. So if they're not able to fall asleep until about 11 and they need eight to 10 hours of sleep, which is the recommendation from the National Sleep Foundation, Mm -hmm. you can just do the math and see if they have to be in their seats at 730, makes it pretty difficult for them to be able to get that eight to 10 hours of sleep that they need. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, uh, we see it. We see it. Our kids, both our boys are in the same high school right now. They start at eight 30. I still think that's early. I think, you know, or I remember when I was in school, it was always like nine to three, 9. AM to 3. PM. Right. But I will say we didn't really have a community where there was a lot of, where there was busing. We really, you know, had a close community that lots of, homes right with the school right in the middle right so it's yeah. it's a close walk for for uh, even now um so so i think that's you know different too uh but but i mean that is really interesting how how something like buses can can make that change it's so oh yeah and i yeah. in fact i ended up with a, a chapter there's sort of the whole first third of the book is looking at kind of the, the starting with the basic information the basics of sleep what you know stages of sleep what happens to teens um, during the teen years in terms of brain development, and then a whole chapter on sort of how did we get here in terms of these early start times? Because in fact, the start times did drift earlier over time, driven in large part by these transportation concerns, which in turn were driven in large part by things like suburbanization. 
you know, and then consolidation right. into larger schools so that then you wouldn't necessarily be able to walk yes. to the local high school. Yeah. So all these factors that played in, however, you know, what that means, the bottom line is these schedules were not set with student well-being in mind. No kidding. Oh my goodness. Okay. So, so here's what I see in my house. Uh, my kids come home from school and, you know, they go to school. One of them is really hard to get up in the morning. The other one is pretty good. And then they come home and I will like catch them napping. And I'm like, no, 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 don't nap, don't nap, don't nap, no, stay awake, stay awake. And then I'll like bribe them with sugar or something like here, here, have this, you know, whatever, because I don't want them to go to bed any later than they already do. And like, I'm tired before they're tired. Right. Yeah. So what about naps? What does that do? So that is a good point because, uh, you know, there are these sort of compensatory strategies, naps, and the other big one is caffeine, um, which, you know, is kind of what teens turn to, what we turn to also yeah. when, you know, we're tired, we've got to power through the rest of the day. Yeah. So for both, the, the general advice is um, just be mindful of it. Like, so when it comes to naps, you don't want to nap too late in the day after about mid-afternoon is too late. And also the length of time of the nap yeah. matters. So about 45 minutes or so, but you're right. If you nap too long or if it's too late in the day, it is going to affect your ability to fall asleep at night. And then it perpetuates the cycle. And it's the same with caffeine, where if you have too much caffeine or you have it too late in the day, it is going to um, likely affect your sleep at night because the half-life of caffeine, for how long it takes to wear off is five to seven hours just for right. half stuffing. Yeah. So again, if it's too late in the day, it does have that uh, potential to affect your sleep mm. at night. And then you are just kind of getting into a loop. Yeah. It's, it's not good. And then having kids not off in class, which is a continuous, um, piece of feedback we get, uh, for our, um, one of our boys, uh, that he has his head down all the time. I think it's also a coping strategy because he just, just wants to check out because school is not his thing, but yeah, I mean, that's, that's really tough. Wow. Okay. So let's talk about what happens when they don't get enough sleep though. Well, Basically across the board, there are ramifications. I mean, there is nothing that, that we do better as a result of being sleep deprived. And that's absolutely the case yeah. with teens too. So, and just to give you a, a data point, again, this is from the US, from the CDC, they did a survey in 2019 and they found that only 22% of high schoolers were getting at least eight hours of sleep at night. And again, eight hours is the minimum they should be getting. So only like one in five are getting that minimum amount. So, I mean, just to kind of give you a sense of the scope of this, what that means though, is across the board, there are these ramifications. So, you know, literally nodding off in class clearly is one of them. You know, if a kid is asleep, they are not learning. <laughs> yeah. Um, even when they're there and they're sleepy, they're not learning optimally. So no. I, as part of this whole, um, you know, book writing process and the legislative journey, I um, have been in touch with sleep experts all around the country. And one of them, pioneering researcher, her name is uh, Dr. Mary Karskadden. And the way she described it to me was that there are basically three key ways that sleep affects learning. Okay. The first is it affects your ability to um, um, attain that information. So when you're in the classroom and you're trying to learn in the first place, you know, that is not happening. Um, so, you know, essentially acquiring that information, 
then it also lessens the likelihood of retaining that information because that process it largely happens when we're asleep in terms of all that new information being consolidated and stabilized and strengthened. And the third issue is that for sleep deprived, it impairs the ability to retrieve that information, mm. be able to draw on it. So when you're trying to take a test or when you're trying to like do your homework, building on concepts you learned in class, all of that. So, you know, the whole process of learning is impaired by kids being sleep deprived. And that's kind of the whole reason they're in school, right? Yeah. Yeah. No kidding. No kidding. <laughs> so like we've just shot ourselves in the foot basically. Exactly. So, so there's that. There's so many, I mean, we could talk about drowsy driving and, you know, and impulsive behavior, but the other one I really want to touch on is mental health because that is just so important. Um, And this was, this was the case even before the pandemic that we know teens were having mental health issues and they really have just skyrocketed since then. Yeah. It's really shone a light on it. Yeah. Yeah. And and I'll say when I'm tired and I, I, I am chronically tired, uh, just ever since I had kids. So it's not, it's not good. And I don't like it. And that's why I always say like my best piece of self-care is to give myself a nap, like just have a little lay down. Right. But, um, I know when I need to, at least when I need to take a break, because I cannot focus, I just can't focus. And so I can only imagine, you know, and here are these kids being told like your future depends on this and you better do well. So you get into the best colleges and the best universities and your, you know, your future is on the line. <laughs> you know, oh I mean, like, yeah. that's like a little pressure on top of the fact that we are completely negating what their needs for actual well being are at this age, right? We just really do not treat our teenagers very well. We really don't. We don't really seek to understand their behavior. We just really just want them to be grownups and get over it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And essentially they're running on empty, which makes it very, So how long does this last? Is it just the teen years? Like when do we, when does their their circadian rhythm come back to, I don't know, normal levels? You know, that, I don't know. <laughs> that's a really good question. And I will just say that I, I'm not a medical expert. And so I will just confess most of what I concentrated on was what's happening during the teen years, you know, okay. all the effects. What I can tell you though, is that the need for eight to 10 hours of sleep is up until age 18. And after that, they shift to the adult uh, sleep needs, which is a recommendation of seven to nine hours of sleep. So that is important to keep in mind because so many of our teens, you know, by the time they're juniors or seniors in high school, they look like they're adults, but they're not yet. They still do need eight to 10 hours of sleep. Yeah. So I think that's really key to keep in mind. It's confusing as, as, as a parent, I think too, right? Cause your child sounds like an adult, looks like an adult, doesn't act like an adult. Oh my goodness. Well, okay, so that gets to the whole brain development piece. Yeah. Well, yes. Really important because teen, the teen years are a major phase of brain development. Yes. Um, and what's going on, it's actually the second most major phase after, you know, the initial, you know, tremendous phase. So they've got two main things going on and one mm-hmm. of them is pruning and the other one is remodeling. Mm-hmm. And what that has to do with is their brain cells. So it's, pruning is kind of use it or lose it. There's this, um, this surplus of brain cells that are created initially. Um, and then what happens is those that are being used the most develop the strongest connections, the ones that are excess get pruned away. And that allows what's there, what's remaining to function more effectively. Mm. 
The other piece is the remodeling, and that is also focused on strengthening the connections between them so that it improves the connectivity, the speed of processing. So one of the neuroscientists that I interviewed for this book compared this whole process, uh, this upgrading to upgrading from a dirt road to a paved freeway. Mm. So just to give you a sense in terms of the speed of the processing of the information, and this is all taking place, you know, over the course of adolescence, even into early adulthood, because it happens in different parts of the brain at different times. So the first part to come online is the limbic system. This is the part that's responsible for emotions. And, you know, teens are, are more primed and prone to risk-taking and seeking out, you know, these um, reward-seeking behaviors is what they call it. Yeah, but the prefrontal cortex, which is the executive functioning and judgment and reasoning comes online later. I mean, yeah. it's not that it's not there, but it right. hasn't been upgraded to the same level in terms of the speed of processing, the connectivity, but also the connectivity between the brain regions. So teens already are primed to be more impulsive inherently. And then when you layer in sleep deprivation, that just ups the ante. Yes. Oh, you have no idea how much I love everything you just said. And my listeners, if you're having a little chuckle, that's just fine because I talk about the brain all the time. And it's so important that we know because when you know, it's like, oh, okay, that's why. Instead of not knowing and blaming, shaming, putting your child down, uh, you know, telling them that they should be able to do better when they can't, they do not have a fully grown brain. And that's the other side of why it's confusing for us as parents too, because they look like adults, they sound like adults, but they don't act like them, but sometimes they do, but most of the time they don't. And then they do these dumb things, but that's all a part of this massive reorganization that you're talking about, which is the pruning and then the, um, the, the reward, the right? You're remodeling. Yeah. 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 So it's just, you know, it's just so important. We just know that, that we just know it because then we can be there as support for our kids instead of us leading and parenting through fear, because really that's what it's all about, right? We see our kids being lazy as we've labeled it because we don't understand what's really going on. And then we catapult ourselves into the future and we say, "Uh Oh, if you're going to be lazy like this at work, you'll never get a good job. You'll never have enough money to have a house and a wife or a husband or kids or, you know, a a car, or are we going to, and then am I going to have to take care of you all your life? You're going to end up in jail. You're going to live in the basement. Yeah. I mean, like we're going there and it's just because our kid like is sleepy today or whatever, or does something dumb. So just knowing that is so empowering and it just, I'm so excited to hear that from you. So I just love, I just geeked out big time <laughs> for all of that. So, um, okay. So you didn't just write a book on sleep time. You literally created and helped pass a law. So let's talk about that whole, that whole piece on uh, California's new law on healthy school start time. So yeah. that, I mean, you've been doing this for seven years. How long did that take you? <laughs> well, so this is the thing. It was a bit of an improbable journey because at the outset, you know, 2015, my oldest was starting high school. I'm immediately realizing this is an issue. Yeah. So as a parent and as a parenting journalist, I started looking into it and trying to gather more info as I want to do and started writing about it. 
So mm. my first articles on school start times and teen sleep were coming out the spring of his freshman year. So spring of 2016. And then I wrote an op-ed that ran in the Los Angeles Times September of 2016 called Why Schools Should Start Later in the Day. And the LA Times is the closest major daily to where I live in Southern California. So that op-ed beginning of my son's sophomore year was read in the newspaper by one of our California state senators, Anthony Martino. And again, you, you know, you can't script this. You can't say, oh, I'm just going to do this. And this is how it's going to unfold. So yeah. I certainly would have predicted this at the outset. But he read that op-ed in the paper. He, at that point, had a daughter in high school. And their local high school was in the midst of having these conversations about school start times. Mm. So it happened to resonate with him. He decided, you know, I think I want to look into this issue further. And he ended up introducing a bill on it. So as part of that information gathering that he was doing, he reached out to a group called Start School Later, which is a national nonprofit. Actually, they have chapters internationally, too, all volunteer run. And it was um, an advocacy group formed in 2011, all about starting schools later. So I had found out about them when I first started gathering info and writing about it. I had um, started my own local chapter because I was going to start doing local advocacy to do this because up until now, this is how it's happened is locally in various communities. So his office in looking into the issue, you know, also tapped into the fact that there was this group out there, Start School Later, reached out to them, Start School Later, put his office in touch with those of us in the state of California who were chapter leaders of which I was one. And so that's how I initially, you know, found out he was planning on introducing this. Mm. The bill got introduced in February of 2017, and I ended up sort of shifting my focus in my volunteer efforts towards that, because I could see this was, you know, something, this new opportunity, and, you know, so I just kind of decided I would follow it and see where it went. That led to me testifying at the state capitol that summer wow. in front of one of the, you know, as part of a committee hearing. You know, I stayed involved just doing all sorts of volunteer advocacy and communications, et cetera. It was a lengthy two and a half year legislative journey. Mm. In the end, it was signed into law by, um, this is the second time it had gotten to the governor's desk. The first governor had vetoed it, you know, long, long um, process. Finally gets signed into law by Governor Gavin Newsom in California, October yep. of 2019. Okay. With a three-year implementation window so that, you know, you don't just flip the switch immediately and expect everyone to address right. it, which is a best practice. You gotta have enough time, right? to reorganize those buses <laughs> well and, and and families have to have time to adjust to yeah, because course, you know our kids. schedules are built around our kids schedules right yeah so like, yeah 100 know, when my kids were in elementary school their day ended at it was either 147 or 148 i really should go back and look it up but you know it wasn't even 150 it was like so precise but mm -hmm. you had to either be there to get your kid or you had to have made arrangements for your kid to go to after school care i mean parents know we we have constructed you know some sort of a system so right. when you shift those school start times everything needs to adjust right really? yeah yeah so there's a three-year window well that law officially goes into effect july 1st 2022 and it's the first law of its scope in the u.s so california is the Yay. first state to require set start times meaning no, no earlier than 8 30 for public high schools in the state of California and no earlier than eight o'clock for public middle schools in the state of Wonderful. California. Yeah. Wow. And that's, I looked this up, that, that's about 3 million kids in the state who are going to be affected wow. by this. So the scope wow. is, 
Yeah. Well, congratulations to you and everybody who, who were a part of this. I mean, that is a huge win. And how amazing is that? Like, it's just, it's so incredible to see something like that come to fruition. And uh, so congratulations, one state down 49 to go. You got this, you got this, Lisa, it took (laughs) seven years for the one. So let's see how long it takes you for the rest of them. Well, and, and I mean, just to, to, to be fair, as you know, like I was sort of the spark for the California bill, yeah. but is drew on, you know, decades of research and all of these sleep advocates and experts were supportive the whole yeah, way through. I mean, the, the, the woman who's the physician who was the lead author on that American Academy of Pediatrics policy statement was writing letters of support. I mean, this was really broadly a, a, a group effort. Yeah. Well, I, I know even our family pediatrician, he speaks very strongly about the, the need for kids to, um, to, to have a later start time as well for these teenagers. So yeah, across the board, you just, you can't deny that this is just the truth. It's based in science, right. And, and, and we see it, you don't even need to know the science. You just see the change in your kids and it's universal. So here's the, the thing though, you know, okay. So seven years ago, we were in this, in this arena of technology and devices and stuff, even though I was probably on a Blackberry seven years ago, I don't know, I gotta think about that, you know, but things have, have gotten, I would say worse, or at least the use of technology is more and more and more. And then never mind the last two years, I mean, just completely consumed all the time. And so that's got to impact sleep too, because that whole circadian rhythm, the melatonin release, it it, it relies on darkness, doesn't it? Yes. Yes. And light. Yeah. So this was really interesting to me, all the information out there about technology. And I I literally ended up with an entire chapter on it because there was so much to say. But Mm. one of the things that did surprise me when I went in to look at this research was Blue light, which is what um, this part of the spectrum that helps us cue, helps cue us to feel more alert, that absolutely is affected. Um, yeah. or, excuse me, let me rephrase that. The blue light that our tech devices emit is the part of the light spectrum that cues us to feel more alert. So during the the morning, it's great to have blue light because it does help you feel more alert. But the fact that all our devices are emitting blue light is something that can affect us, as you were just saying. Right. However, what was so interesting to find out, though, when I was talking to various sleep experts was of the three ways that tech impacts sleep, they thought that was the least of the issues. In fact, one of them um, gave the analogy of, you know, putting a blue light filter on your device is sort of like putting a, a filter on a cigarette. So the other two ways that do impact sleep even more are the fact that it's sort of, it's cutting into your sleep time, you know, so if you have a teen who is on their devices till 1.30 in the morning, well, of course that's cutting into your sleep time, right? And the other key piece is that when we're on tech, it's stimulating and it's engaging. So Mm -hmm. it's revving us up. So you can't, you know, be online playing this fast paced video game or being embroiled in some kind of drama with your, you know, your besties or your frenemies or whoever it is, and then just sort of drift off to sleep peacefully. Like that's how it really impacts us. Right. uh, And our teens, I should say. But here's the (laughs) other thing. 
all of these, you know, tech devices and apps and, and everything that we do, they've been designed to be deliberately immersive. So it's not like our teens are just weak willed. I mean, these are specifically designed to suck them in and to keep them engaged as long as possible. So, you know, social media, the likes that they get, that's a form of reinforcement and they're primed for reward seeking. Um, even things like, you know, when you stream television shows, they have an automatic countdown after one episode and it just sort of seamlessly leads into the next one. So like all these are ways that are designed to keep us too engaged as much as possible. So that's kind of what we're up against, which I think is, is important to, to recognize too. Yeah, that's really true. I mean, I can't even count the amount of times where we've, you know, even my husband and I, when we're watching a show or we're, you know, whatever, it's like, oh, let's just do another one. We'll just stay up later, you know, and we always pay for it later. Like, why do we do that? You know, we're well, not, and, and here's the thing, when we were growing up, that wasn't an option. You watched oh. the show when it was on and when it was yeah. over, that was it. So the next week. That's right. <laughs> I mean, so true. So it's even more important to have this discussion now, really, because we're up against more. Uh, so what do we do? How, how can we support our kids in getting enough sleep? What do we do without, you know, without there being tons of conflict at home? Too? I know. It's so hard. So there are a number of different things we can do. That's the good news. Okay. So, I mean, you know, my bias and, and, you know, clearly the science shows that helping advocate for later start times is such a key piece because yes. that is, that's so key. When you look at the morning piece of the equation of them getting up too early mm -hmm. in the morning, that's governed by start times. Mm -hmm. And then the other things that are based on start times, like if there's a zero period class or there's a before school practice, those are even earlier. So mm -hmm. really advocating for a healthy school start time. And that mm -hmm. is something parents can do. And that's, you know, that's how I get involved. That's how in many cases, parents have played a critical role in all the places where school start times have been changed to date. But there are also other things, you know, looking at the nighttime side of that equation. Yeah. Um, and so for that, when it comes to tech, for instance, um, and this is something I did have, you know, some lengthy discussions with some of the, the people involved in the research on this. Um, and, you know, best practice is setting tech guidelines in your home. And my question to them was, okay, well, what if you haven't done that yet? You know, because in some cases, this, the, um, the technology sort of blew up, you know, in terms of all that it does and, and all these bells and whistles and things that are, that are distracting. That came of age as my kids were coming of age. So I wasn't like already versed in it and I, you know, First, so yeah. sort of almost caught me a little bit unaware. So I feel like if you have younger kids, it's a little easier because you know already, but then again, something else is going to come up. So, so ideally you want to have already set tech guidelines in the home before your kids hit the teen years. If you haven't done that, you, st you still can do it, but it's definitely much more of a discussion with your teens to get their buy-in. And so a lot of it is starting from um, basing it in kind of some of this, this common information. So to help them understand, they really do need eight to 10 hours of sleep. That's a starting point. Cause you know, we always hear, oh, eight hours. Well, eight right. hours is the minimum for teens. Um, it's also talking to them about some of this stuff about tech, about, you know, that it is designed to be deliberately immersive because, you know, that's not necessarily something they think about. But it's also getting their buy-in in terms of whatever kind of guidelines you're going to set in the home. So, um, 
you know, it's having them perhaps experiment with, well, maybe instead of having your phone by your bedside at night, what if you try putting it across the room and see, see how you feel? Like that was one suggestion I got. The real best solution for that is, is charging them outside of the bedrooms, you know, in the kitchen. But then in that case, that's something where as parents, we have to be modeling that same behavior. So our devices are there too. So it's a family role. Yeah. Things like that. Yeah. Um, So it is much more of an ongoing conversation, Mm -hmm. probably. But then particularly for those of us with older teens, it's recognizing too, when they leave home, they have to ultimately be responsible for this on their own. So they kind of have to have, you, you, you want them to be bought into it and to understand it because we're not always going to be there. You know, with an eight-year-old, you can have more deliberate control over things like that, access to your phone and all that. You can even still try and do that all the way through high school, but at some point they're not there, you know, and they do need to do this on their own. So helping them understand and buy into it is kind of the ultimate path to success. Yeah, it's so true. And, you know, I mean, I fully advocate for parents before they even give their child a device that we need to have an agreement on it. And the agreement needs to be flexible and needs to be revisited so that as teens, as kids get older and get into the teen years, we're changing, adapting, you know, relooking at things because there's going to be the introduction of social media, perhaps or not, you know, what sites are okay, what aren't okay, you know, what can you look at, you know, all that kind of stuff. Right. But the other thing that you, that you mentioned about not having the phone in the room, I mean, I think that's a really great practice to start out with because there is a lot, there are a lot of kids that are waking up in the middle of the night to chat because there's been a new update on, like you said, like a drama with their friend group or whatever. Right. And that, I mean, talk about ruining your sleep. I mean, you could lose a couple of hours just that one thing alone. Right. So we're so lucky you are so well-versed in all of this and you have a guide for us on tips from your book, the sleep deprived teen in the parent toolbox that we can down, that you can, the listeners can download. So they have some of these tips and tools and solutions to help them with their teens. So first of all, I want to say thank you to you for that, because that is so valuable and parent, the parent toolbox, if you're not a part of it, it's just, it's, it's totally free. You just sign up. So you get access to all the tools and there's tools in there for all different things. In fact, there's a whole section just on teens. So if you want to just dive into that, you'll find all sorts of resources there and it's parent-toolbox.com. So, um, yeah, I just, you know, I just want to thank you for everything that you've shared. And is there any last, uh, piece of advice you want to leave the listeners with? I think what I would say is just the overarching message perhaps is just make sleep a priority. Mm. And I think that's for us too, as adults. I mean, there have been studies that show when teens, teens who've gotten enough sleep um, said that they had fewer arguments with their parents. So that's, that's something that's important, but also just, we know, you know, I shouldn't say we, I know when I've gotten a good night's sleep, things go better. And so when you have a parent who's well-rested and a teen who's well-rested, that's going to set you up for success far more than if the opposite is the case. So just Mm -hmm. making sleep a priority for us too. 
Um, you know, even some of that behavior you mentioned of getting on their phones in the middle of the night, adults do that too. They've done studies, you know. So that's another wow. good takeaway tip, which is turn off the notifications and the oh, alerts. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes. But just making sleep a priority. That is overarching and understanding teens need eight to 10 hours and sleep is what sleep makes everything go better, you know, and sleep provides <laughs> emotional resiliency. That's another key message. Oh, I love it. Yes. Emotional resiliency, and it will allow them to attain the information, have retention of it and be able to retrieve it when they're learning in school. So Lisa L. Lewis, you are amazing and wonderful. And I'm so happy that I met you. This has been really, really good. And I hope everybody listening is going to go out and get your book, The Sleep Deprived Teen, Why Our Teenagers Are So Tired and How Parents and Schools Can Help Them Thrive. I mean, this is a major piece, a major piece because these kids are getting ready to launch and we just need to understand them better and set them up for success. So I love everything that you've said. Thank you so much. So thank you. Thank you. I, I love chatting about sleep and this is a great conversation. So thank you. Thank you for listening to this edition of my podcast, Parenting Our Future. I'm parent coach Robin McMahon. And if you're enjoying this podcast, please share it with someone who you think might also need to hear this message. And don't forget to subscribe. And if you like my work, I'd be grateful if you gave me a five-star rating. For those of you who like my content and want more, visit me at yellingcurebook.com to get your copy of my book and to find other resources to help you. Until next time, I am wishing you and your family peace and